0: Welcome to Journeys of Teaching, I'm Aaron R. Gearhart. This week we are exploring the journey of Dr. Reba Wisner, an assistant professor of music and musicology at Columbus State University in Columbus, Georgia. On the last episode, we learned about Reba's work in musicology, including how she started a public musicology certificate program at Columbus State, a program that is unique to our institution. Today we will conclude our time with Reba as she shares about her approaches to ungrading. As a post-secondary instructor, she discusses how these practices have impacted and benefited her students in many ways.
1: Yeah, so with ungrading, it's it's kind of a misnomer because at the end, we all have to give them grades. Which I hate, but yeah. I hate it, I hate it, Um, but you know, I think that especially now with the the pressures that we have because of pandemic life and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, students are really overwhelmed. Um, and I, I've been noticing this for uh, since the pandemic started, but really this semester was probably the most overwhelmed I've ever seen my students. And you know I have to, to give credit to the amazing people who kind of thought about how to rethink assessment. Um, by minimizing grades, like um, Star Saxstein and Alfie Cohn and Jesse Stommel. Um, And now we have kind of a, almost a second generation with Susan Bloom and Josh Eiler. Um, and so there's been a lot of research about how grading undermines learning. Students spend so much time freaking out about what they're going to get on an exam or a paper or a project um, that one, they don't retain the information as much as they would have. Um, and two, um, they will um, not enjoy the process. It becomes a scary process for them. With ungrading, the thought behind it is that students are able to take more chances. Um, so I've had some really, really adventurous ways of doing things um, from my students because I, I leave it open for them. Really, the only kind of parameters are that um, students, first of all, when you give them an uh, an assignment or anything, you're not giving them a letter grade or a number grade, you're giving them feedback. Right. And they can then use that feedback to improve on whatever else. If you're someone who gives them multiple option opportunities to revise, they can use it for that. Um, they can use that feedback for when they do something very similar later on in the course, um, but you're not giving them any grades. So what the students do is they will give you a uh, reflection or a self-assessment. Um, I've been doing it around the midterm and the final. I really want to start doing it monthly um, to keep them more accountable I think, right. because it especially with everything, although I also don't want to add more work on their plate. Um, but I tell them to write me a letter. It's not always a letter. I tell them, you can make a video. You can diagram something. You can do audio, Like especially midterm and final. Like, there are points in the semester we just can't even touch a keyboard. Your brain's going to explode, so just talk to me. Um, And I asked them what they're proud of, what their goals were at the very beginning of the semester. I asked them to set goals for themselves um, because they know how they work best. And one of the things that the uh, ungrading and UDL have in common is this notion of metacognition. Because with with UDL, you want to make sure that um, you are going to become an expert learner. And you can't become an expert learner until you know how you learn. And so I tell students, I want them to create a goal. If you know you are someone who is not going to get your stuff started until the night before it's due, this is a good time to set a goal to maybe start it a week before.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. Or, you know, baby steps two days before. I. So, um. you know, tell me if you've met those goals that you set for yourself at the beginning of the semester. Um, you know, what are you proud of? What can you use? do more work with um what's your goals for the second half of the semester and what grade do you think um equates to everything that you've just told me i know they're brutally honest like some of them will tell me like my goal was to get to class on time this semester and as you've noticed i have been late to every class like (laughs) and and i need to be better at that um but it, it makes them hold themselves accountable and so um more Often than not, the grades that the students will assign themselves based on the work that they've done is the grade that they will get at the end of the semester. Um, I make them very much aware that, one, I can change those grades that they suggested with their consultation if I tell them why. Um, There's been research that shows that specifically people who are of color and people who have been socialized as female tend to grade themselves lower than they should be grading themselves. And so I tell them this from the outset because I want them to be conscious of this. Right. Um, I have usually never had it where a student who's not done anything and says, I deserve an A. And that's very extreme. I've never had to lower a grade for a student, but I have had to tell a student, you are shortchanging yourself here. Um, I've had students who are just like, I handed in all my work late because I had COVID and I was in the hospital. I'm like, why are you taking this out on yourself? Like,
0: <laughs> and I, yeah, they, I get yeah, students email me to Like, yeah, I had COVID or my kid was in the hospital with RSV and that's, I hope you still accept this assignment. I was like, well, of course I would. Like maybe next time, just, you know, I know that you're in the middle of this and this and this, but shoot me an email. Just like, Hey, can I get a couple of days? Like, I'm always willing to work with you, but I got to know what's going on. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. and that's yeah and some of them are blown away by that like oh Mm -hmm. like it's okay that stuff went awry this week wow they don't get that kind of empathy and I I don't know if I use the badging system you and I have talked privately Mm -hmm. about this but I'm interested with on grading do you find that because you're engaging in that feedback process so much with them there's just more dialogue happening on a regular basis with students where you do kind of get a sense of what's going on with them in ways you might not if it was just A, B, C, D, F type of thing? I
1: do. Um, And I'll say, too, that um, one of the things that comes out in my evaluations um, is that almost every semester, almost every class, at least one student says, one, they love the ungrading because they didn't feel stressed out. Mm -hmm. They could actually enjoy the learning process.
0: Right, right. Um,
1: And they learned more than they thought they would, simply by, I've also abandoned tests. Um, For that reason, too. I don't do tests um, either. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, they, they felt like they could actually enjoy the learning process and retain the information much better than if they were studying for an exam and like petrified that the paper that they turned in yesterday was going to come back with like a B, Yeah, <laughs> which could of course, like B could be the end of the world for some students. Right. Um, but also um, students have told me that they were willing to take more chances with their assignments. Uh, and this is something I see in the unessay. Um, with the essay, they can engage in the course material in any way they see fit. Um, It can be a research paper if they want, but it can also be creative. Um, So as long as it's related to the course material, it's fair game. Uh, They have to hand in a proposal with a bibliography to show me that they've started doing research. It's got to be grounded in research. Um, And that's one thing that people are just like, oh, not writing a paper. You're like watering down the curriculum. And I'm like, no, you're not. It's just how you're presenting that research that they're doing.
0: Especially if it's public-facing, which you value a lot, as you said earlier.
1: Yeah. And some of my students have done public-facing work. They've done websites. They've done podcasts. Um, and then there are some where, like, for instance, I had we were I was co-teaching this semester with um, Shannon Godlove. We were doing an honors course on the medieval lyric and poetry and music. And we had looked at the Codex Manasseh. Um, and one of my students did cross-stitch patterns of her and I some other people in the style of the Codex Manassi um, and discussed how that fit in with what we've heard been doing. I've had students make instruments. I had students when I was teaching a music and gender class, I had a student um, who did a graphic novel about uh, female musicians through history. Uh, this past semester, I had two students working together. They created a music history board game. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it really, it, they have to do research in order to do these things. Like, there's no, neg- how can you make a board game about music history if you're not doing the research and coming, like, to come up with the questions and all of these other things. Right. And so it allows them to work in a format that they feel comfortable with. Um, and it also makes it less of a slog for them
0: well what you're doing is you're making it so that we're fitting the students' needs. The students aren't having to hopefully fit the demands of a syllabus or a professor's preferences or and again that goes back to UDL, lowering mm-hmm. those barriers as much as possible.
1: Yep. And you know, you know this, like there's so many things we can't cover that we right. want to cover. Right. And I tell them I I you know I give them very broad parameters, like when I'm teaching music history, one, I'm like, Music history from 800 to 1720. Whatever you want. <laughs> the course is technically history of Western music. But I've had students who have done research on 17th century music in Turkey. Because that's what they were interested in. Right, right. So fit the time parameter. And then you can explore things that we haven't had a chance to look at. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you can still hit those, pun not intended, you can still hit the big notes of whatever the Mm -hmm. school course was. And exactly, we get so afraid to do that. Like I will sit down and look at like the state learning standards for K through five in my classes. And like the science stuff is incredibly content specific when we're really supposed to be developing skills at that age, then they can learn learn the content too. But if we don't equip them with skills, I don't know. That's just the, the way I look at it. Reba's stories about how ungrading has worked in her teaching are inspiring. The notion of assigning a score or letter grade to a student's work in the traditional paradigm often ends the teaching and learning process, punctuating it with a celebratory or punitive mark that may or may not be accompanied by meaningful feedback to the learner. With ungrading, Reba fosters increased dialogue with her students and supports them in setting and working towards goals that are relevant to their lives within and outside of the course level context. This is a more humanizing way to work with students rather than treating them like data points. I want to thank Reba for sharing her narrative on this podcast. You can follow Reba on Twitter at Reba Next week, we will catch up with a past guest on Journeys of Teaching, Miss Courtney Stepp. Courtney is a kindergarten teacher at Benson Hill Elementary in Renton, Washington, and appeared on episodes 10 through 12 of this podcast. Among the points we discussed last time, over two years ago, were redesigning classroom management approaches, engaging in personal learning networks, and a read-aloud lesson Courtney taught over Zoom during the pandemic the day after the attempted insurrection at the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021. My contact information is in the episode description. This is Journeys of Teaching. I'm Aaron R. Gearhart, and thank you for listening.